Section 24 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the National Advisory Committee on Civil Disorders. Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 5 Rejection and Protest An Historical Sketch. Part 1. Introduction. The events of the summer of 1967 are in large part the culmination of 300 years of racial prejudice. Most Americans know little of the origins of the racial schism separating our white and Negro citizens. Few appreciate how central the problem of the Negro has been to our social policy. Fewer still understand that today's problems can be solved only if white Americans comprehend the rigid social, economic, and educational barriers that have prevented Negroes from participating in the mainstream of American life. Only a handful realize that Negro accommodation to the patterns of prejudice in American culture has been but one side of the coin. For as slaves and as free men, Negroes have protested against oppression, and have persistently sought equality in American society. What follows is neither a history of the Negro in the United States, nor account of Negro protest movements. Rather, it is a brief narrative of a few historical events that illustrate the facts of rejection and the forms of protest. We call on history not to justify, but to help explain, for black and white Americans, a state of mind. THE COLONIAL PERIOD Twenty years after Columbus reached the New World, African Negroes, transported by Spanish, Dutch, and Portuguese traders, were arriving in the Caribbean islands. Almost all came as slaves. By 1600 there were more than half a million slaves in the Western Hemisphere. In colonial America, the first Negroes landed at Jamestown in August 1619. Within forty years, Negroes had become a group apart, separated from the rest of the population by custom and law. Treated as servants for life, forbidden to intermarry with whites, deprived of their African traditions, and dispersed among southern plantations, American Negroes lost tribal, regional, and family ties. Through massive importation their numbers increased rapidly. By 1776 some 500,000 Negroes were held in slavery and indentured servitude in the United States. Nearly one of every six persons in the country was a slave. Americans disapproved a preliminary draft of the Declaration of Independence that indicted the King of England for waging cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. Instead, they approved a document that proclaimed all men are created equal. The statement was an ideal, a promise, but it excluded the Negroes who were held in bondage, as well as the few who were free men. The conditions in which Negroes lived had already led to protest. Racial violence was present almost from the beginning of the American experience. 
throughout the eighteenth century the danger of negro revolts obsessed many white americans slave plots of considerable scope were uncovered in new york in seventeen twelve and seventeen fourteen and they resulted in bloodshed whites and negroes were slain negroes were at first barred from serving in the revolutionary army recruiting officers having been ordered in july seventeen seventy five to enlist no stroller negro or vagabond yet negroes were already actively involved in the struggle for independence crispus atox a boston negro was perhaps the first american to die for freedom and negroes had already fought in the battles at lexington and concord they were among the soldiers at bunker hill fearing that negroes would enlist in the british army which welcomed them and facing a manpower shortage the continental army accepted free negroes many slaves did join the british and according to an estimate by thomas jefferson more than thirty thousand virginia slaves ran away in seventeen seventy eight alone presumably to enlist the states enrolled both free and slave negroes and finally congress authorized military service for slaves who were to be emancipated in return for their service by the end of the war about five thousand negroes had been in the ranks of the continental army those who had been slaves became free the constitution and the laws massachusetts abolished slavery in seventeen eighty three and Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York soon provided for gradual liberation. But relatively few Negroes lived in these states. The bulk of the Negro population was in the South, where white Americans had fortunes invested in slaves. Although the Congress banned slavery in the Northwest Territory, delegates at the Constitutional Convention compromised a slave was counted as three-fifths of a person for determining the number of representatives from a state to congress congress was prohibited from restricting the slave trade until after eighteen o eight and the free states were required to return fugitive slaves to their southern owners growing numbers of slaves in the south became permanently fastened in bondage and slavery spread into new southern regions when more slaves were needed for the cotton and sugar plantations in the southwest they were ordered from the negro raising states of the old south or despite congressional prohibition of the slave trade imported from africa the laws of bondage became even more institutionalized masters retained absolute authority over their negroes who were unable to leave their masters properties without written permission any white person even those who owned no slaves and they outnumbered slaveholders six to one could challenge a truant slave and turn him over to a public official slaves could own no property could enter into no contract not even a contract of marriage and had no right to assemble in public unless a white person was present they had no standing in the courts discrimination as a doctrine the situation was hardly better for free negroes a few achieved material success some even owned slaves themselves but the vast majority knew only poverty forbidden to settle in some areas segregated in others 
they were targets of prejudice and discrimination. In the South they were denied freedom of movement, severely restricted in their choice of occupation, and forbidden to associate with whites or with slaves. They lived in constant danger of being enslaved. Whites could challenge their freedom, and an infraction of the law could put them into bondage. In both North and South they were regularly victims of mobs. In 1829, for example, white residents invaded Cincinnati's Little Africa, killed Negroes, burned their property, and ultimately drove half the Negro population from the city. Some Americans, Washington and Jefferson among them, advocated the gradual emancipation of slaves, and in the nineteenth century a movement to abolish slavery grew in importance and strength. A few white abolitionist leaders wanted full equality for Negroes, but others sought only to eliminate the institution itself, and some anti-slavery societies, fearing that Negro members would unnecessarily offend those who were unsympathetic with abolitionist principles, denied entrance to Negroes. Most Americans were, in fact, against abolishing slavery. They refused to rent their halls for anti-slavery meetings. They harassed abolitionist leaders who sought to educate white and Negro children together. They attacked those involved in the movement. Mobs sometimes killed abolitionists and destroyed their property. A large body of literature came into existence to prove that the Negro was imperfectly developed in mind and body, that he belonged to a lower order of man, that slavery was right on ethnic, economic, and social grounds, quoting the scriptures in support. Spreading rapidly during the first part of the nineteenth century, slavery held less than one million Negroes in 1800, but almost four million by 1860. Although some few white Americans had freed their slaves, most increased their holdings, for the invention of the cotton gin had made cotton the heart of the southern economy. By mid-century slavery in the South had become a systematic and aggressive way of treating a whole race of people. The despair of the Negroes was evident. Malingering and sabotage tormented every slaveholder. The problem of runaway slaves was endemic. Some slaves, Gabriel Prosser in 1800, Denmark Vesey in 1822, Nat Turner in 1831, and others, turned to violence, and the sporadic uprisings that flared demonstrated a deep protest against a demeaning way of life. Negroes who had material resources expressed their distress in other ways. In 1816, Paul Cuffey, Negro philanthropist and owner of a fleet of ships, transported a group of Negroes to a new home in Sierra Leone. Forty years later, Martin R. Delaney, Negro editor and physician, also urged Negroes to settle elsewhere. Equality of treatment and acceptance by the society at large were myths, and Negro protests during the first half of the nineteenth century took the form of rhetoric, spoken and written, which combined denunciation of undemocratic oppression together with pleas to the conscience of white Americans for the redress of grievances and the recognition of their constitutional rights. 
a few negroes joined white americans who believed that only negro emigration to africa would solve racial problems but most negroes equated that program with banishment and felt themselves entitled to participate in the blessings of america the national negro convention movement formed in eighteen thirty held conferences to publicize on a national scale the evils of slavery and the indignities heaped on free negroes the american moral reform society founded by negroes in eighteen thirty four rejected racial separatism and advocated uplifting the whole human race without distinction as to complexion other negro reformers pressed for stronger racial consciousness and solidarity as the means to overcome racial barriers many took direct action to help slaves escape through the underground railroad a few resisted discrimination by political action even though most negroes were barred from voting frustration disillusionment anger and fantasy marked the negroes protest against the place in american society assigned to them i was free harriet tubman said but there was no one to welcome me in the land of freedom i was a stranger in a strange land when frederick douglass the distinguished negro abolitionist addressed the citizens of rochester on independence day eighteen fifty two he told them the fourth of july is yours not mine you may rejoice i must mourn to drag a man into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems were inhuman mockery and sacrilegious irony fellow-citizens above your national tumultuous joy i hear the mournful wail of millions whose chains heavy and grievous yesterday are today rendered more intolerable by the jubilant shouts that reach them the path toward civil war the eighteen fifties brought negroes increasing despair as the problem of slavery was debated by the nation's leaders the compromise of eighteen fifty and the kansas nebraska act of eighteen fifty four settled no basic issues and the dred scott case in eighteen fifty seven confirmed negroes in their understanding that they were not citizens and thus not entitled to the constitutional safeguards enjoyed by other americans but the abolitionist movement was growing uncle tom's cabin appeared in eighteen fifty two and sold more than three hundred thousand copies that year soon presented on the stage throughout the north it dramatized the cruelty of slave-masters and overseers, and condemned a culture based on human degradation and exploitation. The election of Abraham Lincoln on an anti-slavery platform gave hope that the end of slavery was near. But by the time Lincoln took office, seven southern states had seceded from the Union, and four more soon joined them the civil war and emancipation renewed negro faith in the vision of a racially egalitarian and integrated american society but americans having been aroused by a wartime crisis would again fail to destroy what abolitionists had described as the sins of caste civil war and quote, emancipation unquote negroes volunteered for military service during the civil war 
the struggle as they saw it between the slave states and the free states they were rejected not until a shortage of troops plagued the union army late in eighteen sixty two were segregated units of united states colored troops formed not until eighteen sixty four did these men receive the same pay as white soldiers a total of one hundred eighty six thousand negroes served the emancipation proclamation of eighteen sixty three freed few slaves at first but had immense significance as a symbol negroes could hope again for equality but there were at the same time bitter signs of racial unrest violent rioting occurred in cincinnati in eighteen sixty two when negro and irish hands competed for work on the river boats lesser riots took place in newark and in buffalo and troy new york the result of combined hostility to the war and fear that negroes would take white jobs the most violent of the troubles took place in the new york city draft riots in july eighteen sixty three when white workers mainly irish-born embarked on a three-day rampage desperately poor and lacking real roots in the community they had the most to lose from the draft further they were bitterly afraid that even cheaper negro labor would flood the north if slavery ceased to exist all the frustrations and prejudices the irish had suffered were brought to a boiling point at pitiful wages they had slaved on the railroads and canals had been herded into the most menial jobs as carters and stevedores their crumbling frame tenements were the worst slums in the city their first target was the office of the provost-marshal in charge of conscription and seven hundred people quickly ransacked the building and set it on fire the crowd refused to permit firemen into the area and the whole block was gutted then the mob spilled into the negro area where many negroes were slain and thousands forced to flee town the police were helpless until federal troops arrived on the third day and restored control union victory in the civil war promised the negroes freedom but not equality or immunity from white aggression scarcely was the war ended when racial violence erupted in new orleans negroes proceeding to an assembly hall to discuss the franchise were charged by police and special troops who routed the negroes with guns bricks and stones killed some at once and pursued and killed others who were trying to escape federal troops restored order but thirty-four negroes and four whites were reported dead and over two hundred people were injured general sheridan later said at least nine-tenths of the casualties were perpetrated by the police and citizens by stabbing and smashing in the heads of many who had already been wounded or killed by policemen it was not just a riot but an absolute massacre by the police a murder which the mayor and police perpetrated without the shadow of necessity reconstruction reconstruction was a time of hope the period when the thirteenth fourteenth and fifteenth amendments were adopted giving negroes the vote and the promise of equality but campaigns of violence and intimidation accompanied these optimistic expressions of a new age 
the Ku Klux Klan and other secret organizations sought to suppress the emergence into society of the new Negro citizens. Major riots occurred in Memphis, Tennessee, where 46 Negroes were reported killed and 75 wounded, and in the Louisiana centers of Colfax and Cushata, where more than 100 Negro and white Republicans were massacred. Nevertheless, in 1875, Congress enacted the first significant civil rights law. It gave Negroes the right to equal accommodations, facilities, and advantages of public transportation, inns, theaters, and places of public amusement. But the law had no effective enforcement provisions, and was, in fact, poorly enforced. Although bills to provide federal aid to education for Negroes were prepared, none passed, and educational opportunities remained meager. But Negroes were elected to every Southern legislature. Twenty served in the U.S. House of Representatives, two represented Mississippi in the U.S. Senate, and a prominent Negro politician was governor of Louisiana for forty days. Opposition to Negroes in state and local government was always open and bitter. In the press and on the platform, they were described as ignorant and depraved. Critics made no distinction between Negroes who had graduated from Dartmouth and those who had graduated from the cotton fields. Every available means was employed to drive Negroes from public life. Negroes who voted or held office were refused jobs, or punished by the Ku Klux Klan. One group in Mississippi boasted of having killed 116 Negroes and of having thrown their bodies into the Tallahatchie River. In a single South Carolina county, six men were murdered and more than 300 whipped during the first six months of 1870. The federal government seemed helpless. Having withdrawn the occupation troops as soon as the southern states organized governments, the president was reluctant to send them back. In 1870 and 1871, after the 15th Amendment was ratified, Congress enacted several laws to protect the right of citizens to vote. They were seldom enforced, and the Supreme Court struck down the most important provisions in 1875 and 1876. As Southern white governments returned to power, beginning with Virginia in 1869 and ending with Louisiana in 1877, the process of relegating the Negro to a subordinate place in American life was accelerated. Disenfranchisement was the first step. Negroes who defied the Klan and tried to vote faced an array of deceptions and obstacles. Polling places were changed at the last minute without notice to Negroes. Severe time limitations were imposed on marking complicated ballots. Votes cast incorrectly in a maze of ballot boxes were nullified. The suffrage provisions of state constitutions were rewritten to disenfranchise Negroes who could not read, understand, or interpret the Constitution. Some state constitutions permitted those who failed these tests to vote if their ancestors had been eligible to vote on January 1, 1860, a date when no Negro could vote anywhere in the South. In 1896, there were 130,344 Negroes registered in Louisiana. 
in nineteen hundred after the state rewrote the suffrage provisions of its constitution only five thousand three hundred twenty remained on the registration books essentially the same thing happened in the other states of the former confederacy end of section twenty four recording by maria casper